0: You have your Bibles with you tonight. Would you open them, please, to the book of Esther? This summer, we've been in a sermon series entitled Giants for God, and it concluded last Sunday. But your pastor has been listening to the ladies of the church. You always stay on the good side of the ladies, and the ladies were talking talking to one another and talking to me, and they said, Pastor, we love the series, but there's a problem with the series that's just been concluded. Not one single lady was spoken on or talked about or preached through. And so this one's for the girls. We're going to talk about A giant for God, who was a lady, and her name is Esther. And we're going to pick up her story in Esther chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. And we read, If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, Then shall their enlargements and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther spoke and answered back to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Susan and fast for me, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will do likewise, and then I will go to the king, which is not according to the law. In other words, I'm not supposed to do this, but I will go, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. For those of you that are not familiar with the story of Esther, I'm going to take you through it. For those of you that are familiar, I hope that you can pick up something along the way that will be a ministry or a blessing to you. Our story begins with King Xerxes of Persia. He rules Persia, and Persia rules the world. So King Xerxes is king of the world as we enter the book of Esther. Now he's a Steve Martin fella. He's a wild and crazy king. Historians tell us that he tried to build a bridge, not over a lake, not over a river, but over a sea actually believed he could build a bridge of several hundred miles that would cross the sea well as he was building this bridge hundreds of thousands of workers at hundreds of millions of dollars a storm came and tore his bridge up he got mad at the storm He got even more mad at the sea. And he ordered his scourger to take the whip and go out there and punish the sea with 30 lashes times 10. The sea got 300 lashes for allowing a storm To tear up his bridge. And then he had a friend, according to historians, whose name was Pythias. And because he thought that Pythias was loyal to him, and he was, he gave him one million dollars. One million dollars in gold and silver and brass. But then he turned right around and murdered Pythias' son because he believed that he was a traitor. I'm telling you, Xerxes was wild and he was crazy. He was totally unpredictable. He was sane one minute, he was insane the next. He was calm one time and then he was being a rage the next. He acted like he had things under control one moment. And then all of a sudden, he was out of control himself. Well, he also gave parties. You like to go to parties? If you went to a party of King Xerxes, the party would last anywhere from three to six months long. Upwards to 15,000 people would be invited to this party that would go on for 90 days or 180 days or somewhere in between. Now, these really weren't parties, they were orgies. They were filled with drunkenness and decadence and debauchery of all kinds. And it was during a party that King Xerxes was having that he made a request of his queen, Vashti. He called for her to come. She normally would not come to these parties because they were orgies. But he requested her to come to this one. And he wanted her to dance for his drunken friends. And she answered him back, No. The queen defied the king. She put her foot down. She said, I will not parade myself. I will not lower myself to dance. Suggestively, seductively, sexually before your drunken cronies find somebody else. We can applaud her. Great job, queen. Well... Xerxes was embarrassed. Here's the king of the world, and his wife puts him in place. And so he's got to do something. So he strips her of her title as queen, and he banishes her from his presence for the rest of her life. Now I'm going to stop there before I pick up the story because I'm going to say a word about alcoholic beverage. You heard me correctly. Your pastor is going to address it. Politicians won't address it. Celebrities won't address it. Professionals won't address it. Not even preachers will address it. But I will address it. And I want you to listen, because I'm not going to stutter or stammer. I'm not going to mince words about it. Xerxes makes this disgusting request of his queen while he's drunk, while he's under the influence of toxins. That's why they call it being intoxicated, because you're putting poison into your system. If your mind doesn't have enough sense to know that, your stomach does. That's why your stomach heaves it up. Xerxes makes a stupid, shameful decision while under the influence of alcohol. Now, it shouldn't surprise us, ladies and gentlemen, that he's not the only one who makes stupid, shameful decisions. Look at Washington. Do you know that Washington, D.C. is the cocktail capital of the United States? More alcohol is consumed per capita in Washington, D.C. than any other place in America. That explains why we see so much craziness come out of Washington. William Gladstone was a British politician and lay leader in a church. He was liberal according to his day. And even he understood the dangers of alcoholic beverage that leads to drunkenness. And what he said is very interesting. Now, he's a liberal, by the way. He's not conservative. He's a liberal in his approach to politics and to spiritual things. And yet he says, alcohol has done more to destroy lives then war, pestilence, and natural catastrophes all combine together. He understood the devastation of alcohol. He understands that it takes lives or makes cripples on our nation's highway. He understands that it takes sexual modesty and restraints from ladies and turns them into play toys. He understood that it takes away from making good judgments and makes fools out of men. He understood that it takes people that are normally a passive Dr. Jekyll and turns them into an aggressive Mr. Hyde that abuses and molests even their own family. I can assure you, you look closely next time you see that good-looking guy and that bikini babe on television at the beach. Look, look closely now. Don't miss what's behind them because what is behind them is carnage. What's behind them is the effect of alcohol. If you look real close, you'll see tears you'll see violence, you'll see addictions, you'll see blood, you'll see death, and you'll see hell. Xerxes made his decision drunk, and he would regret that decision. And he's not the only one who has made decisions why influence that would regret it for this life and for eternity. There is no quicker way to have a hell on earth than a hell in eternity than to start drinking alcoholic beverage. You say, well, pastor, I can hold my liquor. It's not always about you, sir. It's about your children and grandchildren. They may not be able to hold theirs. And what a legacy to leave behind to your family that you made them a bunch of drunks. Abraham Lincoln said it well, alcohol has many defenders, but it doesn't have any defense. Now let's get back to our story. That was just an extra sermon free of charge. (laughs) Exerxes has banished Queen Vashti, stripped her of her title, banished her from his presence. But like I said, he realized he made a stupid decision because she was his queen. She was his wife. He wanted her. He needed her. But he couldn't go back on his word. So what he decides to do is have a Miss Persia beauty contest. He's going to find him a new queen, a new wife. And so women come from all over the empire. And they do what you do at beauty pageants. And guess what? A queen, a wife for King Xerxes is found. She wins the contest. Her name is Esther. She is a beautiful woman. And she's a Jewish woman. Although that's not known at this time. So Esther becomes the new queen of Persia, the new wife of King Xerxes. And it looks like all is well. But then Xerxes makes another stupid decision. He changes prime ministers. And he appoints a man by the name of Haman to be the new prime minister of Persia. The prime minister is the number two man in the empire, right under the king. Now, Xerxes doesn't know it. He should have done some background checks, but he didn't. He doesn't know that Hammond is a forerunner of Adolf Hitler. No, he didn't come, Hitler didn't come from Hammond's family physically. But he came from his family spiritually. Because Haman hates the Jewish people. He hates the Jewish race. And now that he's the prime minister of Persia, he now has the power given to him by the king to exterminate the Jewish people that live in Persia to annihilate the Jewish race that now he is over and can control. And so Haman puts into place a plan, a plan that will bring mass murder to the people of God. He gets the king's support for this plan by using trickery. He gets the king to to blindly, once again, possibly when he was drunk, to sign off on a decree that gives him the right to take all of the gold and silver and valuables from the Jewish people in the empire. And if they put up a fight, to slaughter them wholesale. Of course, he knows if the Persians come for their valuables, they'll try to defend themselves, and when they do, they will be put to death. And the king signs off on it, not really understanding what he was doing. Now it comes to find out that Esther, remember, she's a Jewish girl, but nobody knows that. She hears about this plan, she hears about this dastardly plan from Haman. And she's the queen, and she's faced with a choice. Actually, two choices. She can go to her husband, the king, which, by the way, in that day was unlawful. A wife could not enter the presence of her husband without his approval. But she could go to him with or without his approval. And she could share with them what Haman is going to do. But the king might kill her if she shows up in his presence without his permission. Or she says something he doesn't want to hear. Because remember, Xerxes is crazy. And plus he has the law behind him. That was Persian law. He could do it. Or Esther. She could just be quiet. She didn't have to say or do anything. And she could let this man by the name of Haman... Slaughter thousands upon thousands of her people. The question is, what is she going to do? Well, she has a stepfather who is a part of King Xerxes' advisors. And you thought soap operas were good. And Mordecai talks to Esther. He calls her to the side and says, Listen. You've got to do something. You can't be quiet. Because if you're quiet, it's going to cost you your life. Because you're a Jewish girl. They'll find out about it. It's going to cost me my life. It's going to cost the life of our family. It's going to cost the life of our brethren. You've got to do something. And so that brings us to Esther chapter 4. What was she going to do, and what can we learn from what she's going to do? That, ladies and gentlemen, can be giants for God today. Because I can assure you there are Hammonds out there today who would like to annihilate the Christians of America, who would like to exterminate the churches of America, who would like to get rid of us once and for all and forever. There's Hammonds everywhere. What must we do? What did Esther do? Five things I want to give you very quickly. First of all, she understood her purpose. You know, we go through life wondering, what is God's plan for my life? That's a good question. What is my purpose for my life? Good question. And maybe Esther asked that question herself. Well, now she's about to see God's plan and purpose for her life. In verse 14 of chapter 4, If you hold your peace at this time, then the enlargement and deliverance that will come to the Jews will come from somebody else, Esther. This is Mordecai talking to her. And you and your father's house shall be destroyed in the process Look at the end of verse 14. Who knows whether you have come into this kingdom as the queen for such a time as this to save the people of God. Giants for God, Esther, understand that they have a purpose in life. Esther is starting to figure out that she didn't win that beauty contest. God won it for her. There were hundreds of beautiful women there. Yet God showed favor on her. That even men who are not sacred but secular, even men who are not Christian but pagans, they looked at her and they said, she's the most beautiful woman of all of these. King Xerxes, she needs to be the queen. She needs to be your wife. I tell you tonight, that wasn't an accident. That wasn't chance. That wasn't luck. That wasn't coincidence. That wasn't good fortune. That wasn't some fate. That was the moving of a sovereign God who reached down and put his hand on her and called her out. And made her the queen of Persia and the wife of King Xerxes. Do you understand that God has His hand on you? The great chess master has you on the chessboard of life, and He's moving you. He's moving you because He has a plan and purpose for your life that's far greater than sometimes we could ever imagine. Esther is beginning to see, I'm the queen for a reason. I'm the wife of Xerxes for a purpose. And I'm alive right now in history because I am to save my people. She understood her purpose. Those who are great for God do. They're not just here to draw a breath and then check out. They're here to do something for God. Secondly, I want you to notice in verse 16, she prepares herself for God's purpose. She discovered it as Mordecai spoke to her. Now she's going to prepare herself for the purpose that God has for her. In verse 16, She says, go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan. And I want you to begin to fast for me. I don't want you to eat nor drink. For three days, night or day, I also and my maidens will fast. We will all fast, and the implication is they will pray as well. So when I go to the king, which is not according to the law, I'm not supposed to do this that if I perish, I'll perish, knowing I'm doing the right thing. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Chapter 5, verse 1, Now it came to pass on the third day of this fasting and prayer that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king that sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house saw her. Now she's preparing to carry out the purpose that God has given her for her life. And that purpose is to save herself, to save her family, more importantly, to save the Jewish race. And Persia from annihilation and extermination. She prepares herself spiritually. She calls on her Jewish brethren to fast for three days. No food for three days. Fasting is not just about missing a meal, it's about taking the time that you would use to eat the meal to pray. So they fasted. They missed three meals a day for three days. That's nine meals. What did they do with that time? They prayed. They called upon the Lord. Remember this morning? They called upon the Lord. They invited the God of wisdom and power to bring that wisdom and power to bear in this situation. She prepared herself spiritually for the purpose that God revealed to her. And then she prepared herself physically. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says she got all dolled up. You ladies understand what that means, don't you? She was a beautiful lady. And she's going to catch the eye of the king that he will invite her to come. Because remember, she just can't barge in on him. She could be put to death for that. So she puts on the clothing of the queen. She puts on the queen apparel. She wants to remind him as he's looking at her that she's his queen and his wife. And she fixes her hair and she puts on some makeup. She puts a little fragrance on and then has the fans blowing his way. And then she leans up against the doorpost. And she waves. Maybe moving a little bit of clothing here and there. And he goes, wow. Something like that. And he beckons her to come. She solved the problem of the invitation, didn't she? Dr. Billy Graham was once asked, what makes for success in the Christian life? He said, prayer, inviting God to come and be part of it. Preparation, preparing yourself for what you believe God wants you to do. Perspiration, being willing to do the work. And then promotion, letting others know that they can be part of it with you. I don't know if Esther knew Dr. Billy Graham. He's been around a long time. By the way, Dr. Graham's 99 years old today. Not today, but I mean right now as we gather. But she understood that success begins with prayer. That's what God can do. And preparation, that's what we do. So she prayed and she fasted, and then she fixed herself up. Okay? Thirdly, now, we're looking at what made Esther a giant for God. She found her purpose. This is why God has me here. She prepared for the purpose. I'm going to do what I need to do that the purpose can take place. The plan could unfold. And then she became proactive. Now, remember, the king has invited her into his presence. Verse 2 through 4 of chapter 5. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. In other words, he said, Come. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, this is Exerxes speaking to Esther, What will thou, Queen Esther, what is your request? And it shall be given to you up to half the kingdom." wow, she must have looked good. I'm going to give you up to half the kingdom. I find you favorable. And then notice, and Esther answered in verse 4, if it would seem good unto you, king, let the king and Haman, remember, the little Hitler, let Let's have a a, a private dinner, king, and I want you to bring Hammond with you. It'll just be us three together. Wow, now she's a pretty sharp cookie, isn't she? She says, my husband, my king, I would like to have dinner with you, a private dinner, just you and I, but I would like to invite your prime minister, Hammond to come and join us. It would mean so much to me if he would be there. And so they have a dinner party. You see, she's being proactive now. She understands God's purpose. She's prepared to fulfill God's purpose. And now she's stepping in and doing, once again, what she can do proactively. Now, you might wonder why she didn't do more. Why didn't she just spill out what she wants? Because she's following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And God's ways are not always our ways. So she's being proactive, but she's moving very patiently and very slowly. And that brings us to number four. She's going to trust God to do the work, even as she's doing the work. Now, she's called for a dinner party. The king, Hammond, and herself. Now, by the way, while this dinner party is being prepared to take place, Hammond is building a gallows. You know what a gallows is? That's where they hang people. He's building a gallows that's 75 foot high. Must have been some tall Jews. And you know why he's building that gallows? Because Haman wants to publicly hang some of the Jewish leaders. That's how much he hates the Jewish people, the Jewish race. He wants to hang some of them publicly. He's going to kill them all, but he wants to hang some of them publicly. He wants the people of Persia to see them hanging from the gallows. And he wants Mordecai to be one of them. Now remember who Mordecai is? That's the stepfather of Esther. Why does he hate Mordecai? Because Haman wanted people to bow down to him when he walked through the city streets. Oh, he was narcissistic. He wanted the Jewish people to bend their knee and bow to him. Because he's the prime minister of Persia. And most of the Jewish people did, but Mordecai wouldn't do it. He just stood up and looked at it. And that infuriated Haman. And he said, I'm going to hang that Mordecai first. He's going to hang from the gallows. I'm going to make him an example. Now, it's interesting that at this dinner, King Xerxes... Esther and Haman are having a discussion. And King Xerxes has heard about a man that saved his life a long time ago, but never was recognized for it. Guess who the man was? Mordecai. And so Esther says, well, King, what are you going to do for Mordecai? Again, Xerxes doesn't know that's her stepfather. And she says, King, what were you going to do for this man that saved your life? And the king says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make him a hero. Haman, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out and do this, this, and this for Mordecai. Now, Haman's thinking he's going to bring up executing Mordecai. And Esther says, King, why don't we make him a hero? Why don't we give him a parade through the street? Why don't you give him some money? Why don't you give him a medal? <laughs> and Hammond and she said, Why do you let Hammond do it? <laughs> I can almost look. I hope we get to heaven, we can look at his face. He's infuriated. He wants to hang him, Mordecai, and the king's saying, Well, that's a good idea. Make him the honorary member of the parade. that leads us to the final part of the story. Esther is now going to have to take final action. She has the purpose, she's made the preparation, she's been proactive though patient in doing it and preparing for the dinner. She's now going to let God unfold everything for her as she just sits back and watches this stuff. You You couldn't make this stuff up if you wanted to. And now in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, as we close, time has run out. We see that they have another dinner party. I'm not going to read all the verses, but you can catch up. There's another dinner party. She asked for another one. And in this one, she invites, guess who? The king and Haman again, the prime minister. Now, he's already infuriated that he has to pay respect to Mordecai. He wanted to hang the guy. But yet he now had to make him a hero. But he's not. He says, that's okay. He might get off the hook now, but I'm going to take care of the rest of them. I'm going to get the okay from the king to start the persecution, to start the looting, to start the mass murdering of these Jews. I'm going to get the approval tonight at the dinner party. I'm not playing around no more. And so another dinner party's held. And it's at this dinner party Esther asked the king if she might say a word about Haman. Now, you can imagine what this narcissistic prime minister's doing. She's going to praise me. No, she doesn't. She says, King, you're a wise man, but you've been duped. You've been tricked. You've been fooled by an evil man. That evil man is going to use you. He's going to use your love for money against you that he might slaughter an entire race of people annihilate an entire group of people because he hates them they have done nothing wrong your highness he just hates them and wants to kill them and your highness I'm one of those group of people they're Jewish people I'm a Jewish girl But I am your queen and I am your wife. And Mordecai, the man that you made a hero. The Mordecai, the man, your your highness, that saved your life and you didn't even know about it. Do you know he's a Jewish man too? And Haman, him. He tricked you. He made a fool out of you. He wants to use you to exterminate a race. He wants to use you to kill me, your queen, my stepfather, and my people. King, can you help us? King, can you help us? And the king says, you, pointing to Haman. Those gallows you built, glad you built them because you're going to hang from them. And Haman goes to the gallows, and he's hung publicly for his dastardly plans. And the king orders the Jewish people to fight back against those who come to take their wealth, and they will not be persecuted or prosecuted for it. The king helps the Jews He hangs Haman, and Esther is immortalized forever. Isn't that a wonderful story? She found her purpose. She prepared for the purpose. She was proactive when she found out what God wanted her to do. She trusted in the sovereignty of God. And then she stood back and watched what God did. Ladies, I want to say a word to you, and we close, and I know our time's out. I know we put a lot of emphasis in our society on outward beauty. And Esther was a beautiful woman. Let's make no bones about it. She was. But may I suggest to you her greater beauty was inward beauty. She was a woman of character. She was a woman of principle. She was a woman of conviction. She was a, wonder, a woman of values and virtues. There's a lot of pretty women in our world, but ladies, if you don't have inward beauty, you're nothing more than a creature with an angelic face attached to the neck of a pig. God is looking for ladies who can be giants with God who might be impressive on the outside, and that's good if you can be that, but are more impressive on the inside. Ladies that he can use to make a difference. Maybe for the Christians. Maybe for the church. Maybe in the life of this country one day. Ladies who understand that Our God is capable of taking bad things and making it good. It looked bad for a while, didn't it? Looked like Hammond might get his way. But God has a way of taking what looks bad and turning it into what's good. He has the right person there. You know, Fanny Crosby, in closing, was one of the greatest hymn writers who's ever lived. Most people don't know she was blind. She wasn't... Born blind, she was made blind in the birthing process. The doctor made a mistake and took her sight. But Penny Crosby never was angry at God. She was never angry at the doctor. She never was angry at anybody. Because she realized that the bad that occurred to her, God used for the good. You know what she said? In my blindness, I saw God. In my blindness, I saw God. In my darkness, I saw the light. God can take our bad and make it good. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.